hand a bag of chips. I would sometimes carry out from town like three or four full-size bag of chips. So chips were a big one. Full-size, you mean like the family size or the... Yeah, yeah. Where did you store that? Um, so <laughs> if you pop a hole in it at the top, let out all the air and just crunch it up, it packs down pretty dang small. And then you're just kind of eating like chip, like... Crumble. Crumble. But I would usually reserve my most, my, the bag I was most excited about to eat as a whole chip <laughs> experience. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Songbird, known off trail as Caroline Kellogg. She took to the PCT with her boyfriend in 2018. In this episode, she admits to what she gave up to carry coffee, ponders the question is it cold soaking or solar heating? The age-old trail question, do dinosaurs have pancreases? And reflects on how the trail broke her open. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Songbird. Hello. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your Saturday morning. No, oh, thank you so much. It's nice to sit here and sip my coffee and think about the trail. <laughs> it's, it's much nicer to sip your coffee on this side of things than that side of things? On this side of... Having finished the trail versus oh. <laughs> being on the trail? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Some of my favorite coffee coffee sipping moments are probably from the trail. Oh, do tell. I I tried to... So I'm very addicted to caffeine. And I tried on the trail initially to... I was doing ultralight. So I tried to eliminate a stove and all that good stuff. And quickly found out that I missed coffee way, way too much in the morning, just for my own like mental health as well. So I, I immediately got a stove after like a week, pretty much for the sole purpose of making myself coffee in the morning. And that's just, be, it became a routine that I did almost every day after that. And my partner that I was hiking with at the time, he and I would often like take times in the middle of our day to have a coffee break, like gather around the water cooler and talk about <laughs> our day at work. <laughs> and yeah, but I think right now I'm actually, I have a wall uh, in my room. It's like a, oh my gosh, what's it called? Like paying tribute to the PCT. Like a collage or? Kind of a collage. Yeah. That would be a good way of putting it. I was thinking something a little bit more religious, probably <laughs> a, sh a shrine. That's it. That's the one. <laughs> and there's a picture of me, a selfie that I took one of my last days in Washington, where I'd become so comfortable with my speed that I would just make a cup of coffee, 
in my little cup and then hike while I listen to the Grateful Dead and sip my coffee (laughs) on the trail. So that was like, that was probably one of my best mornings, just nothing. And that's, that's what's crazy about talking to people about the trails. There are definitely huge moments, but then there are those moments where when somebody's like, tell me about your favorite cup of coffee on the trail. And you're like, well, it was just because I was in a great mood (laughs) and it was beautiful out and the coffee tasted good. You were in the perfect moment. Yeah. You're in the flow. Yeah. So do you get a lot of people like asking you that question of what was your favorite this or what was your best coffee moment? What was your... You know, surprisingly, no. Really? Yeah. I mean, hmm, let's see. I don't know if I can say this. How do, how do people connect with you being on the trail, I guess, is the, is the better question. Right. No, I'm trying to think of like what, what does come up. Really, it's for people that haven't been on the trail or don't really hike that much or spend that much time outside, Usually it involves me explaining what the Pacific Crest Trail is. (laughs) And as soon as they're like, here that it's, you know, I'm like, oh, I like to hike. And they're like, Mm -hmm. cool, what do you hike? I was like, well, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, that sounds fun. Like, yeah, it goes from Mexico to Canada. And there's just this wall, this veil of misunderstanding that comes across their eyes. And just like, wait, what? You can do that? It's like, yeah, you can. I would think that kind of the next question is, and how long does that take? Yes. How long does that take? What do you eat? How far do you walk every day? Those are kind of those follow-up questions. I think Mm -hmm. for people that have been either been on the trail or spent time outside or know about the PCT, I feel like a third of the time people reference the book Wild and ask me if that's why I've done it, which is fine. And then I think another big point that comes up usually is the fact that I hiked it with my boyfriend at the time. Okay. His name is Hefe and mm-hmm. or that's his trail name. And so I think that piece of information typically usurps my own experience on the trail where people are like, oh, I could never do that with my boyfriend or you guys must have to get married now or, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. If you survived that, you could survive anything. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, has become vaguely ironic as um, we actually ended our relationship in December. (laughs) So it does, it's not true. You don't have to end up married if you through hike with someone. (laughs) That is probably no truer words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What made you, I guess, two questions. What made you decide to go ultra light? Mm-hmm. And what made you decide to hike with your boyfriend or hike, hike with a hiking partner at that point? Right. And yeah, like a romantic. Yeah. That's partner. a lot of extra baggage. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what made me to decide to go ultra light? I think the answer has changed actually as I get further away from the trail. As at the time I had been working wilderness therapy at a primitive skills based wilderness program for over a year and had just learned through living in the desert in Utah for almost a year that like the more you take 
the more burdensome it is, you know, as tip as cliche or like obvious as that mm-hmm. should seem that like you really don't need <laughs> almost anything in yeah. order to make yourself comfortable and competent in the wilderness. So I was already in this kind of minimalist mindset when I was looking at gear and that kind of thing. And, and Hefe had also decided to hike ultralight. So we were doing a lot of comparing gear and research, looking at each other's lighter packs. And we invested in a scale and all that stuff. (laughs) You got serious about this. Oh my gosh. So many little toothbrush nubbins all around the apartment. Um, Did you cut off extra uh, cords and stuff like that just to save those extra ounces and I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I started out way more hardcore about it than I ended up being. In fact, so what I think about it now, though, I think at the time, and this was kind of as I'm like talking to you about it, actually, and processing it internally, I'm realizing how much of my PCT journey was so started completely differently than it ended. It was like watching a lifetime of someone else happen before my eyes. So like at the beginning, I feel like part of the ultralight thing too was there aren't that many women doing ultralight comparatively, comparatively. And I think I've always been kind of a a stubborn ass and I'm just (laughs) like, you know, if the dudes can do it, I'm going to do it too. I got to prove a point. I, yeah, which right now in my life, I'm just kind of laugh at that because it's pretty funny. It's like that old, uh, the Nike commercial with Mia Hamm and Michael Jordan. Anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish I was. Yeah, that that's a great comparison. I think now I think I, I'm not a huge human and I've had several joint related injuries. Mm-hmm. And so I think I I will continue to go ultralight as I hike because I mean when you're hiking 20 30 miles a day it really does I mean as incredible as it is it does a real number on your body you know I have friends that are still I have a friend in San Diego who I hiked most of Washington with and she still has hard time just walking to her car without pain and so I think ultralight kind of gets a bad rep because it's funny and it's weird that people spend so much time caring about their weight. But if you want to be in this game for a long time, it's important to think about how much wear and tear that extra weight is really going to cause on your body. Right. Yeah. Uh, No, absolutely. Like when you're doing a marathon a day, right. The lighter you can get, the easier it's going to be on your body in general. Exactly. And it was interesting to like, as I hiked and, you know, kind of met up with people and lost people and whatever, I had plenty of friends who weren't, who had no interest in how much anything weighed. And by this mm-hmm. time, I mean, it did not take me very long before I was like, if someone else asked me how light my pack is, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, it's a very personal choice and mm-hmm. the PCT hit especially has become a trail that's so popular 
that you're going to see people all the time. And it's really hard to not take that and compare it, take your own experience and try to compare it to others. And that's been one of the biggest lessons for me. And yeah, I don't know. I think numbers and quantifying the ways we view success in our society is one of the most damaging things we can do. And then to bring it into the wilderness, I just feel like it doesn't, I'm sad that it has a place there. Right. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve us. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I've, yeah, that's how I've been feeling about it recently. I was going to say, so when you started, you went ultralight and you were, you got the scale out and you were measuring the grams and and all (laughs) of that. But at some point coffee became important and Mm. that kind of stuff. So where did you end up on that sliding scale of ultralight to this is crazy heavy? What were the things that you said, you know what, coffee, I'm not going to live without that. That This is getting ridiculous. Right. What other things did you, did you right. moderate? Yeah. If I have to have cold ramen out of a Talenti jar one more time, then <laughs> gonna <break>. we're going to have words. <laughs> we're going to have words, PCT. Oh, where did that start to change? Definitely after the Sierra, just because okay. then the terrain becomes so much more forgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the end of the, it's weird because in some ways, by the end of the trip, I feel like I had scaled down even more. I mean, at the beginning, I had, you know, like two pairs of underwear and like four pairs of socks and all this stuff. And by the end, I had no underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Dad. And the truth ma- comes out. Yeah. And I think one one pair of socks. Maybe two. Not like sleeping socks and hiking socks or? I had a pair of sleeping socks. Yeah. So because Washington was so wet. But yeah, I I also like, I remember in uh, near, where was it? Snoqualmie Pass. I went into Tacoma because I I had friends that lived there and went to REI and visited. And I left with a big wool sweater and like a wool neck gaiter <laughs> and a full size sleeping pad and a pillow. And I was just, heck yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be comfy. <laughs> I will give up my underwear for a pillow right yes. now. Oh yeah. Any day of the week. <laughs> that still is true. <laughs> so it, it became the compromise. Yeah. I think I just kind of came to a point where I was, for me at least, I was like, I've been uncomfortable for so long and now like there's a line in my head between hardship and suffering. And Hmm. I think that there's a place maybe in your own life where you really should face suffering, but there's also a place in your life where you have to learn how to have some grace and like forgive and give yourself the benefit of a doubt and, Buy a fucking pillow, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I personally will start with a pillow, but that's okay. <laughs> Do it, girl. Your neck your neck will love it. Yeah. Protection <laughs> since I'm a side sleeper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then I, I don't know if you have a different question, but to answer the question about hiking with a romantic mm-hmm. human. Let me think about that. So I had decided that I was going to hike the PCT this year, 
2018. Mm-hmm. And Hefe and I had been dating not super long, but we worked in the wilderness together. And so that alone, I feel like, kind of turned our, put our relationship in a pressure cooker and definitely kind of made us feel ready <laughs> for something that maybe we weren't super ready for. Right. right. So he had hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2016. So he knew that he wanted to continue and do his Triple Crown. So it didn't take long for me to convince him to come with. And I think if I'm very honest with myself, please, (laughs) I think at the beginning, especially, I was so afraid to do it alone. Understandable. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, if I have him there and he's done this before and, you know, I can rely on him and he can rely on me and, you know, we can like make a really great team because we, we had historically made a really good team. Mm -hmm. And I think we both were just meant to have our own journey and as individuals. And, and there was something very powerful about the fact that, I mean, we, we, pretty much did the whole thing together. There were sections where we hiked separately or I got off um, and actually have not completed Oregon. But I mean, we finished together at the monument as mm-hmm. well. And, and having someone who knows you so well witness your entire journey is something that I don't think I'll ever, I, I won't ever forget. That's, that's a lifetime memory, you know? That's a life. That's like a lifetime connection with someone else. But I think in some ways we weren't prepared for what we really both needed as individuals and not just as a team. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, on a physiological level, our paces are very different. Absolutely. So he's almost six feet tall, I think, and I'm about five, four maybe five, five on a good day. (laughs) So (laughs) just, and yeah, so he could just cruise. Plus he's just freakishly fast. I mean, he can steadily hike at like four miles an hour for many hours. That is not my experience. (laughs) (laughs) And you might have kind of guessed from my, just the way I talk, I'm just kind of a rambler. Like I, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I grew up in a slow moving city and slow moving household and nobody ever seemed to really be in a hurry. And so (laughs) getting that sense of urgency to go fast was really hard for me. I really hated feeling pressured. I can imagine. Uh, So I would kind of start to shut down emotionally, which would get me in my own head and actually probably slow me down even more than just listening to my own body and enjoying it and getting into my own flow. Mm -hmm. And I think on a more like emotional level, you know, the things when you spend every day for the majority of your day, just walking in silence, the corners of your mind that kind of get unpeeled are, can be pretty freaking dark. <laughs> There's a lot of joy yeah. to it too, for sure. I think that's why people keep coming back, but it's like touching the void, you know, like you go mm-hmm. and 
you like look down into your own like <laughs> traumatic abyss of your whole life and sometimes you can pick up the memories and be like oh that was weird and let it go and sometimes you pick up a memory while you're hiking and you, it sticks with you for a really long time and I think I was processing through a lot of traumatic memories from my childhood and and Hefe was also getting into that space as well. We both lost parents at a very young age. And so being deep in our own emotional experience, it kind of didn't allow for a, either of us to really be the fully supportive and present partner that the other one needed in those times. And that led to a lot of resentment and anger between the two of us. Right. For sure. But on the flip side of that, you guys are out on the trail together. So you either have to work through that anger mm -hmm. or you separate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We tried it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we definitely found a system that worked for us. And what was that? Usually I would wake up earlier than him and make myself coffee and just get up and go and yeah, just start hiking. And I would usually get a couple of hours in before he would catch me. So he would leave later. He was definitely not a morning person. So <laughs> he would sleep pretty late. But yeah, that also was hard because in, especially in the desert section, it's so hot that him leaving later just wasn't an option. So those days were definitely more difficult. But in Washington, especially, yeah, I would usually, by that time too, we had figured out a gear system that worked for us in terms of like who carried what. I was going to uh, say, did you guys split the gear, like the tent and the stove and the this and that? So we started, I, you know, as I'm like saying all this, I really love what we did <laughs> because it was so we we continue like there's no one answer which mm -hmm. I think when you go especially now or before when I would like google like through hiking as a couple or whatever you know there are all these flowery stories of and then we found, like we knew each other so well and, and there's this one way we did it and we did it every time and it worked perfectly and that's great but not your experience. Not my experience. And I also think most relationships, whether it's on trail or off, you're going to have to learn how to adapt and bob and weave and push and pull and everything. Everything's going to change. So I, I think that's kind of a reflection of what we did, which is a very long-winded way of saying, yes, <laughs> we did at the beginning, we split gear. We would switch, I think maybe almost daily, who carried the tent. It would be like one day it'd be me, one day it'd be him. Was that because of weight or? Yeah, we wanted to make it quote unquote fair, fair. which is hilarious because I have a story for you. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot uh, wait. <laughs> fair is not equal. <laughs> Amen. I learned that. And throughout the Sierras, so we ended up hiking separately for much of the Sierras in Northern California. And when we did that, we basically decided we each had all of our own gear. So mm -hmm. he had a shelter, I had a shelter. It wasn't even, like we shared nothing. And that worked out actually really well. And that's 
when I talk to people who are interested in through hiking as a couple, I recommend that. Now, when you say you guys hiked separately, does that mean I can see during the day you hike separately, but were you camping separately as well? Yes, we were camping okay. separately. We we were kind of like leapfrogging each other because, you know, he'd get up late and maybe get a few miles further later in the day. But I'd wake up earlier and kind of like catch him, but maybe stop earlier in the day. Got it. And having a tent allowed me to do that. And then there was a week where we hiked completely separately right around Mammoth. I just, I had some friends visiting. I was in a pretty low point emotionally. And so I skipped up to South Lake Tahoe and started hiking alone from there. And then he eventually like caught me. Mm -hmm. But that was a week of definitely having my own experience and, and not seeing him at all, which was interesting. But the equal is not fair part of that mm-hmm. story when we were sitting outside of the lodge in Stahican and there's really only one mm-hmm. um there's there was this older couple skinny and mini and <laughs> yeah oh it. my oh I love them mini is this like tiny woman badass mountaineer oh my god she had some stories and then uh, skinny is her husband. Who's like, oh, God, he's gotta be like six, four. I mean, he's huge and they make a funny pair and there we got to talking to them about how it had been they're, You know, they're both retired and shockingly, you know, you'd think she would slow him down just because she's a lot shorter, but mm-hmm. he was the one that was really struggling physically and they had had to compromise a lot based on pace and all this stuff and, and weight. And at the beginning they talked about how they had, you know, tried to split things evenly. And then by now they realized that, yeah, fair is not equal, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in a partnership. I think there comes a point where you realize if I have a natural ability, then I should accentuate that in order to help you with your natural ability. Right. And so I think that kind of helped change some of the, that definitely helped alleviate some resentment that Jefferson and I had had, I think between each other about making sure everything's fair and, you know, like, well, actually if you're having a really shit day, I'll take the tent, (laughs) you know, or vice versa. It's a, it's a shame it wasn't until Stahican that you got that. <laughs> Gosh, right? <laughs> yeah, we have like four days left. And we're like, oh. Yep. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> the universe is speaking to us a little late. A little. That's the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take? Because you said earlier, like one of the things about hiking with him was you kind of didn't want to do it alone or you were very nervous about doing it alone. How long did that last once you got out there? Probably until about Tehachapi. Okay. So 700 miles. I mean, I think earlier than that, I I, came, I definitely came to a realization pretty early on where I was like, oh, I could do this. Like, I'm not going to get lost. You know, I'm not going to get murdered <laughs> or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, knock on wood. But like. Um, I think it wasn't until about Tehachapi where I had 
met and really connected with some other women who were hiking and just kind of really started to understand like, oh, like this is that experience. And and then it became less scary for me to think about doing it completely alone. And and when I I definitely had the intention of doing more of it alone, but just because of logistics it didn't end up working out. But I do have to say there was only one night on the entire trail where I was where I camped and then there was no one else around. Really? Yeah. One single night. <laughs> every every other time it was either him or other through hikers or, or whatever that happened to just stop at the same area and Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or at least like around the same area, mm-hmm. you know. Shouting distance. Right, exactly. And that was right around Carson Pass in Northern California. And I remember sitting in my tent as like a hailstorm moved through and being fucking terrified. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had slept outside alone in the wilderness before, but I don't know why this experience tapped into some deep nugget of anxiety that I didn't even know I had. I think I ended up watching Jurassic Park in my tent <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> yeah. oh, and that's going to help too. Really connected to the wilderness, Caroline. <laughs> I could see that sort of being something like in our DNA about it's bad human. It's a bad human thing to be caught out in a storm in the middle of the forest. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. All of that. What were you, I guess, this is the perfect entree into a little bit of, of technical, but like, what were you using for, for tent and sleeping and pads and all of that? Yeah. Oh, I should have written it all down. <laughs> <laughs> so for my tent, I used the Z-Packs duplex the entire time. Was that the one that you shared? And then, then you went, when you guys split up the gear, you kept that or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then he, I don't really he just ended up doing kind of like a tarp situation. I don't remember what the brand was. But yeah, I had the duplex. It felt it was very luxurious. <laughs> um, and I loved the fact that you could set it up just with your trekking poles. That was nice, for sure. It held up pretty well. I I think going forward, I would probably get some kind of single person shelter. Um, I don't need all that much space as the duplex offers. But I'm assuming that like the nice thing about the duplex, particularly when you were just doing it yourself, was that it, it had space. You could bring your pack in. You mm-hmm. could, you know, yeah. move around in it. Yes, that is nice, especially when it's really rainy and gross in Washington and you can like cook in it. I mean, they'll tell you don't do that because it's bear- <laughs> bears and yada, yada. <laughs> Public I, service announcement right yeah. now. <laughs> Yeah, please don't cook near your tent and store food properly. But I also use my food bag as a pillow for most of California. So, <laughs> so if somebody's going to grab it, they were going to. I mean, if a bear is going to come mauling through my tent, whether or not I cooked my ramen like five feet or twenty feet from my tent, probably isn't going to save my life. <laughs> yeah, duly noted. Yeah, that's just personal preference. Probably not wise. Again, sorry, Dad. <laughs> What he doesn't know. Yes, exactly. Then, uh, so for my pack, I used Waymark Gear Company. There, it's a it's this guy named Mark <laughs> who uh, makes his packs 
out of his garage in Salt Lake City. And I actually uh, mm. know him personally. I was going to say, there must be some personal connection there. Yeah. Yeah. So he asked me early on to be a gear ambassador because he knew I was hiking the PCT. And so I carried oof, a 50 liter version of his pack. And then I switched and had a new pack made that's 38 liters. So that's kind of what I finished with. Nice. I'll have to, I've, I haven't heard about this, this pack. So I'll have to circle back with you offline and get more contact information for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's a great guy. There's some other, I'm not, this is probably going to get me in trouble, but I'm not like a whole brand person. Like, I think if you find the pack that works for you, then that's great. If you find the stuff that works for you, that's great. It doesn't really matter where it came from. I think, you know, going forward, um, my next big hike, I might use a different pack. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Like, you got to kind of see what's out there, what feels good on your body. I really liked that Mark was able to work with me because he does all custom design pretty much. And we talked a lot about what a woman needs like as a hiker and physiologically how we're different. And that was helpful because the first pack he gave me had these straps that cut right into my boobs. And I like Mm -hmm. took it on the hike and came back and I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. And he's like, Oh, I didn't even think about boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have them and they get in the way. So (laughs) it's a thing the thing they exist um (laughs) but it it was nice like having that connection like you could literally walk into a shop and he could take the measurements and he could you know custom fit it and he particularly since he's he's starting out your your brand ambassador but you know like your your test scenario one yes yeah yeah and i think that was helpful for him it was it was a really cool experience because i i'm not professionally i'm not a gear I'm a therapist by trade Mm -hmm. or whatever. So I'm not in the world of, you know, gear stuff. I know a lot of through hikers that kind of go into that field, but I still, I still do love gear. And I, (laughs) and I think who doesn't, right? Oh, it's so, it's just such a neat way. I mean, I don't know when you find the things and you do your research that really work for you. It just feels like a good fit. feels like you've been intentional with your decisions and, and that's not a bad feeling to have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there are so many great cottage companies out there right now in the outdoor industry. Particularly in ultralight. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, so for my bag, I used an enlightenment, a light enlightened equipment. Equipment. Oh my gosh, can I speak? Enlightened <laughs> equipment. There we go. Say that five times fast. Right? <laughs> um, I had an Enigma. Yeah, a quilt. And I started out with a 20 degree bag that I ordered from them. And then I took it on a shakedown hike in, in Zion National Park. And it was freaking cold, man. And I sleep very mm-hmm. cold. So I knew that wasn't going to work out. So I sent it back and was basically just, I need this to be warmer. And they added more down and that then turned it into a 10 degree quilt. And I had that thing, the whole trail that never changed. And 
I, I was very happy with it. At first, getting used to sleeping in a quilt is really weird. And I hated the open back because I'd get these like drafts <laughs> up my butt. <laughs> <laughs> Even worse. Yeah. Nothing worse than waking up with a cold butt. And uh, sorry, coffee. <laughs> totally get it. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they come with these straps. That they're like, oh, you just strap it to your pad. And it's just who, what ultralight nerd is going to carry additional elastic straps that have one purpose, you know? Pretty (laughs) much nobody. Yeah, exactly. It's weight. Exactly. So I think if I were to do it again, I would probably get a catabatic or make my own, to be honest. Say that again. You'd probably get a what? Catabatic. Catabatic. I haven't heard... Yeah, they're great too. They're just like a little price. I think enlightened equipment is a little bit more friendly on the wallet. But if you want to get into crazy technical details, I think their baffling, the way they sew their baffling, is problematic in the way that the down is distributed. So we're talking enlightened equipment. Yeah, I just had a hard time, and so did Hefe. Of- keeping the down in the places where we needed to be the warmest it, it moved it. around a lot and catabatic doesn't seem to have that problem as much and then i had ooh, what did i use what did you use as a pad yeah that's what I'm, i had the neo therm the, the thermorest the the no i well, i used to use that one in the field and uh, when I was working wilderness. And to be honest, I'd probably use that on my next hike or something similar. No, I had the like torso length X light, I think is what it's called. Okay. Inf- the inflatable, like the green or whatever. <laughs> it's yellow. Oh, yellow? Yeah. It's a little yellow guy and looks like a little egg. <laughs> and it only goes to your torso. And then I would put it under, I would put my pack underneath my legs because it, for comfort, but mm-hmm. it was not comfortable. Um, <laughs> and so I ended up upgrading to like the full length for women one. And that was the change I made in Washington. And, and it was fantastic. I still use it when I go out now. It's just very comfortable. The only thing with an inflatable mat that I don't like is just how delicate you need to be with it. You know, I would have friends, especially in the desert, who we would, you know, stop for like a quick lunch break or whatever, and they would just throw down their egg crate and like mm-hmm. chill or take a siesta. And when you have an inflatable one, you have you don't do that. Yeah, you have to worry about whether it's going to get poked and just becomes kind of a hassle. So going back, I would probably use the egg crate or something more like a. Would you think about carrying a? A little piece of an egg crate to sit on during the day. I did and do still that. Keep your inflatable. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I did end up doing that. At first, I was I like scoffed at people with butt pads because <laughs> <laughs> I was just why would you, why do you need a butt head? Just sit on the ground. And then, but then by the end, I was really happy I had one. It was really nice for just yeah when you're kind of chilling at camp or it has a surprising amount of value actually. Mm-hmm. And then. At one point, Hefe and I actually turned one of our butt pads into sandals for around camp. (laughs) (laughs) You MacGyvered it. I love it. Yeah, we MacGyvered some flip-flops out of our butt pads. (laughs) Wow. 
Okay. Did you have any problems with the inflatable mattress in terms of like getting punctures or the 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 valve breaking or anything like that? Never had a problem with the valve. Ironically, the only time I ever got a hole was when I was at Hiker Heaven, which is a really nice backyard with that's been well groomed and everything. Mm-hmm. And I went to lay it down in our tent and it immediately popped. I think it, it something sharp. So thankfully I was like in society and could patch it. Yeah. But no, I never had a problem with it actually. I feel like it held up really well. Like really, really well. I probably could have cleaned it more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who needs that? Who needs a clean sleeping pad? Exactly. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of any other What did you use to patch it with? Just a little kit that it comes with. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Not like tenacious tape or anything like that? No, I carried, I had a bounce box that had tenacious tape, gorilla tape, and then like some kind of waterproof, like almost like a Gore-Tex tape, but it did, um, I never really had to use it. And it's, it's just so funny how much you think you're going to use at the beginning, especially, and then uh, by the end, it's just like, oh, I don't even have any kind of medical kit. <laughs> you know, no Band-Aids, right. no moleskin, nothing like that. And at the beginning, it's like, oh, you know, what if I get a blister? What if I get a hangnail? Right. I'll need these tweezers someday. I'm like, no, probably not. <laughs> How did you work the resupply boxes, bounce boxes, food purchase? How did all of that work for you guys? Well, we definitely felt like we overplanned. Meaning resupply box wise? Yeah. Yeah. We spent a lot of time. We had, and it, we didn't even have that many. We knew people that had a lot more, but we had 16 each and we had kind of gone through different internet resources to figure out where would be the most like prudent place to send things. Um, most of them would be in like Northern Washington, tiny little places, right? California. So in terms of food, I mean, it was a lot of, we tried to be as healthy as we could. There was definitely like a lot of processed crap, you know, mm-hmm. actually, I feel like this is a story that kind of gives you some insight into how Hefe and I operate. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets super stoked on something and like cannot shake it. So he was like doing all this research about what is optimal nutrition for the trail. You know, (laughs) he's like one of those dudes that would be eating Soylent if it were (laughs) an option that, you know, somebody had said that it was optimum. Right. Exactly. If it's like optimum performance and he's in. So he was Googling around and found this guy uh, this guy's YouTube channel who's called like Paul the Backpacker. I think that's what it's called. I'm so bad at names. Great videos. Love this dude. He's just a guy in his 50s hanging out in Vermont or somewhere in New England, just living his life. And anyway, he's a vegan and he made this trail mix thing. It's not really, it's like a muesli kind of. So okay. it's like granola plus. Yeah, so it was oats and figs and goji berries, cranberries. What else did it have in it? There were probably like six or seven ingredients. 
I could probably send you the the YouTube video of it. You know it. it. Yeah, but it's all like, you know, superfood type Mm -hmm. stuff. You know, you'd buy it for like 15 bucks at Whole Foods. Yep. So anyway, we went to uh, our local Winco, which is a big grocery store that has a lot of bulk food. And we bought an absurd amount of these items (laughs) because we were like, well, if. So apparently, if you eat this, it has every single nutrient that you need today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it weighs a pound. And... How many calories? It is something like 3,000, somewhere between 3,000 and 4,500 calories per bag. And how much is a bag? Cost-wise? Uh, no, sorry. Is it is it that a bag is one pound and it has about 3,000 yes. yeah, calories? Okay, exactly. got it. So you could eat through one in a day and have all the nutrients that you would need in an entire day, right? It's pretty calorie dense. It is very calorie dense. It also tastes like horse food. It's horrible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it's great in small doses, but of course we didn't try out one batch. We went and bought probably $500 worth wow. of ingredients to make this and just went ham on it made something like 80 bags for both of us plus our friend that was also hiking the trail and sent those to ourselves along the way and how much of that actually got eaten oh my god almost none that's how wasteful <laughs> so i had the wherewithal i knew that i wouldn't like it that much so i only sent myself a few <laughs> But Hefe really had to like figure it out. He hiker boxed most of it. And then our friend Jaron, who, or Lego is his trail name, he made a lot of it and he ended up trading it with other hikers for other food. He found like one hiking dude that he was really close with who loved it. So he just would trade him for his mountain houses. Score. So, became a bartering chip. Currency on the trail. Yeah. But we affectionately still refer to this muesli mix as Paul. <laughs> and so thanks, Paul. I appreciate the effort. <laughs> so you weren't eating Paul, but what were you guys eating? I am a savory person. Okay. I hate sweet things pretty much across the board. So shut No like, Pop-Tarts. <laughs> I mean, I can gag down a couple of Pop-Tarts if I really need to, but definitely not my go-to. I ate a lot of beef jerky. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. And a lot of chips and cheese. I usually didn't have tortillas. Sometimes I would. I don't really do tuna. I know plenty of people that did. And when you're hungry enough, it really doesn't matter. But I think I just tried to... The thing that I got probably the most sick of was like any kind of bar. Anything. If you name a bar, I will never eat it again. doesn't matter. No Cliff Bars, Kind Bars, Bobo Bars. Pro Bars, Laura bars. Bars. Pro Bars were the only ones that by the end I could tolerate. (laughs) But I still... I had a friend pull out a pro bar the other day when we were at work and I was just like, oh, 
like a shudder went through me. <laughs> like, I know. You've been traumatized. <laughs> yeah. I can't even like look at that section at the grocery store. So what would your normal day, like you'd wake up in the morning, you'd have your coffee. Mm-hmm. I would have coffee. I would usually eat, breakfast was always really quick. So I would usually eat like some beef jerky, maybe some cheese, a hand a bag of chips. I would sometimes carry out from town like three or four full size bag of chips. So chips were a big one. Full size. You mean like the family size or the. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you store that? Um. So <laughs> if you pop a hole in it at the top, let out all the air and just crunch it up, it packs down pretty dang small. And then you're just kind of eating like chip, like crumble, cr- crumble. But. I would usually reserve my most my the bag I was most excited about to eat as a whole chip <laughs> experience. So eat while I hike typically. That's the other thing about ultralight packs these days. They have this bottom stash pocket, most of mm-hmm. them. So you can store snacks kind of underneath and just kind of eat as you go. I would usually eat a bar just to get the calories in me. And then... I always kind of spent the first few mornings were my favorite and from like, you know, 7am to noon, I usually just spent the time walking in complete silence. Like I didn't listen to anything on my phone or I liked hiking alone in the morning a lot. That was Mm -hmm. kind of my time to be on my own and really feel connected. And then I would stop typically for lunch, make like a wrap or, or since I had a stove, I I mean the time it takes to boil water for like ramen or like rehydrate some beans or whatever, is really nothing at all. And it's a lot more satisfying and there's a lot more calories. So I would typically cook myself lunch. You didn't go back to the cold soak or anything like that? Oh, no, no. I will never cold soak again. <laughs> Copy that. I mean, I had cold soaked in the desert in Utah, but that's because the sun is so, so hot that it actually warms the food. And so it tastes right. decent. But most of the time on the PCT, I feel like, I mean, it was hot. Don't get me wrong. But the amount of time and effort it takes to solar cook something, it would still just be like, maybe lukewarm <laughs> i like how it goes from cold soaking to solar heating yeah 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 it was i think they're also well that's a whole other thing but everybody's kind of stuck on this talenti jar game in mm-hmm. the ultralight community for cold soaking but i used to use just a gallon ziploc bag um, and it held up really well yeah i've heard other people do that as well yeah. And then you can, I I saw this on YouTube too, so I can't take credit, but, <laughs> and it's kind of gross, but, uh, well, anyway, if you put like the oatmeal and the water and your little Ziploc baggie, and then you like stuff it against your belly and your waistline, you then you're, it. Yeah, then you become the solar heater. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Body mechanics. That is pretty brilliant, actually. Yeah. So I did that. <laughs> Use my body heat to heat my food. How, how, uh, 
great of a conservation of energy can you get? Right. That's what I like to think. <laughs> it, it, I think when you have moments like that on trail, it's easy to like laugh them off. But then when you really like think about it, they're so layered because it's like, okay, yeah, this is quick and efficient. It's also weird. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. It's also like you're thinking about your body in a capacity that most people in society have never had to think about. And I'm not just talking about like warming food. I'm talking about like warming their own bodies. You know, you go out in the winter in Salt Lake City and everyone's super bundled up. And I wonder how many people have ever thought about their own like thermodynamics, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. This this is the place. Not many. No, exactly. And I don't expect them to. This is the place where my brain goes when I have too much time on my <laughs> The silence on the trail in the mornings? Yes, exactly. Start contemplating the thermodynamics of people. <laughs> I oh I had a friend who had another one. Oh, she she was like she had been hiking for hours. Well, she had been hiking for days just by herself. Like she didn't see anybody for days at one point. She was like kind of outside the bubble. And then one day she caught up to me and I was like, how's it going spooky? And, you know, we were just chit chatting and she was like songbird. Like yesterday I spent almost the whole day trying to figure out if dinosaurs have pancreases. Like, do you think dinosaurs have pancreases? And it's just, you know, it's so funny to think of, I love those stories because I think when people hear about the PCT, they're like, Oh, you must've had some spiritual awakening every day. <laughs> Well, sometimes you just think about whether or not dinosaurs have pancreases, <laughs> and that's your that's your day, and and it fascinates you for the entire day. It does because your mind just begin. It's like there's a level of curiosity and playfulness that being outside brings, and so you can just wander with it. There's no. It's like the ultimate exercise and mindfulness and meditation like there's you just follow your train of thought into wherever it may lead you and I think that's that's probably something that I miss the most about being on trail is not having that external pressure which is there for certain reasons you know as a person that pressure yeah exactly as a person that opts to live in society, which I do, you know, I live in a city, mm-hmm. I have a car, there are certain things that I, subs- you know, have to subscribe to within that world. And it's just interesting to kind of not have that space to just kind of freely flow or, or try to kind of like what I've been trying to do recently is tap into how can I bring that mentality back into what I've been doing here anyway? Kind of like a big fuck you to society. I'm going to be weird and <laughs> think about dinosaur pancreases anyway. Had, is that something that like you came off the trail and you kind of got absorbed back into society. And now that you've had a little distance from the trail and, and time back in society, you're evolving back to or was that something that you came off the trail and was like, okay, how do I take this experience from the trail and integrate it into what mm. I'm doing? It's definitely come more with time. De- okay. Definitely. My 
my transition off trail was rough, really, really rough, much like darker than I thought it would be. How so? Hmm. Where do I begin? (laughs) What can you get into? What can I get into? Well, Hefe and I ended in Canada on October 8th and we made it back to Manning Park and kind of settled in to ourselves and found a way. One of our friends, Dr. Strange, gave us a ride to Vancouver. He's from the, he's from Canada. And we got on the bus to go back to Portland, which is where I had left my car with a friend. And we were going to go stay with my family friends on their farm. (laughs) And we were both in a weird emotional place. And I remember on that bus ride, Hefe tried to break up with me. (laughs) Oh, you know, like an hour into like a nine hour bus ride full of people. He was like, I don't think I want to be in a relationship anymore. And I was just like, okay, well this sucks. (laughs) So we didn't really talk about it. We just kind of like sat with it for a while. Um, I was pretty upset. So that kind of like, this is kind of a longer way of answering your question is that set a tone, I think, for this insecurity that really started to get kicked loose. Well, I've just finished this epic thing with this other human. And now he's not interested in being a part of the post trail journey. So how am I going to cope with that on my own? And, and the thing that like, maybe the trail was forcing me from the beginning to really delve into my own insecurities and my own fears of loneliness because I started with someone so I wouldn't be lonely and now here I was driving back (laughs) into the United States with that same person and having to face the fact that I might have to do this whole thing this whole post-trail thing completely alone anyway so it's like kind of that ultimate cosmic right. irony. The universe is going to get you one way or another. Yeah. Like the universe is just sitting there wringing its hands. Like, Oh, you're going to be alone. <laughs> Don't you <laughs> you're going to get this message. Yeah. Either it's going to be easy or it's going to be hard. Yeah. But you're going to get it. Yeah. Don't you worry, girlfriend. We're wait. We're, pit. We're patient. <laughs> cool. Thanks for that warning. So, so that sucked. Um, <laughs> And then, but it sort of set the tone for yeah. what it means to be post-trail. Yeah. And then there was a – so we didn't actually break up on that bus ride. There was a lot of back and forth. We came back to Utah, and neither of us were employed. We didn't have a place to live. I'll speak more from my side, but mm-hmm. I – so I've been a therapist now since 2016, And I've always loved it. And I came back from trail and I was just like, if I can't talk to anyone else about their emotions, like I am such an emotional wreck. And I've spent five months with one other person attending to their emotional needs. I'm like tapped out. So it was like this, this job that I had really loved of working as a wilderness therapist no longer felt like an option. So that was really hard because I think a part of my identity was wrapped up in the fact that I helped other people. And now I was in this dark emotional space where I was like, 
not only do I not want to be a therapist, but I don't want to help anyone else. And I completely isolated myself from my friends. We ended up, (laughs) the living situation became interesting. My friends who live in Salt Lake have kind of like this hippie commune house. We call it the rainbow house. (laughs) And they have a dog, a pit bull named Panda. She's, She's a neurotic sweetheart, but she has her own room. (laughs) <laughs> it's mostly it's nice. basically a mud room with a giant cage in it. So we lived there for uh, six weeks on an air mattress, speaking wow. air mattress with you know none like no things, all of our backpacking gear. It was a shit show, man. It was <laughs> it was bad. So so I just felt that didn't help. No, I'm sure. no, and. and I just felt like I had gone from living outside and having all this space to myself to like, now I'm literally sharing a room with a dog and a human and <laughs> I would rather just sleep outside. And I, mm-hmm. I tried that a couple times, but anyway, I think I also just, uh, I wasn't proud of what I had done. And that, Why? that really fucked with me. I think because when I set out, I had created these expectations of what it would be and how Hefe and I would navigate it together. And not only was that hard, but I felt like by the end in that bus ride, it was like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Like none of this mattered. I'm still going to be alone. I'm still, you know, I didn't, or, and then also just this, you know, ideas of perfection. You know, I've, I've skipped sections. I didn't do Oregon. What are people going to, you know, can I even tell people that I've hiked the entire PCT or the PCT? Is that even truthful, you know? And why did you skip Oregon or what was the? I tore my meniscus in Northern California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I also, I went home for my cousin's wedding. So that kind of all, by the time that all happened, the weather window was almost closed so I was like well if I want to finish any of this I want to finish Washington and and if you were going to meet up with him you had to meet up with him where he was exactly as well. yeah and I think uh, so kind of and it was really I'm all over the place right now sorry Aaron you're but, fine you are totally fine <laughs> Washington was really really important to me and we can talk about this in a little bit but my dad came out and hiked with me for a week and that was incredibly reparative for our relationship. And my mom, who passed away when I was 11, was born in Washington State. So it felt like Washington to me was like, I have to do this. Right. This isn't an option. And I've heard it's pretty much the best, the most beautiful of the entire thing. Oh, it is unbelievable. I'm staring at a, a map of the PCT right now that I have hanging on my wall and just pining over it. <laughs> But yeah, so going back. So you, yeah, coming back to. Um, where was I? <laughs> you were in a, you were basically sharing Panda's room. Oh, and sharing Panda's room. I was like, well, shit, I have no money. <laughs> I'm literally like borrowing my, my roommate's eggs for like every meal. So I need to figure this out. So. I got a job working at backcountry.com as a gearhead and 
it's a great company. I loved a lot about it, but it's basically just like customer service, you know? Mm -hmm. And after being there for a month, sitting in a cubicle, answering phone calls, I was like, I'm going to die here. Like, Like, this is not what I, this isn't feeding my soul at all. And I'm a very like spiritual person. That's a very big part of who I am. And I think that was the other thing that was hard to deal with is that I felt because I did the Camino in Mm -hmm. 2015 and it was an incredibly, I mean, it's a very different experience. It's basically you're on vacation, (laughs) but. And you go into the lodge each night and that kind of thing. uh, Yeah, that's great. (laughs) It's very, it's very luxe, but also incredibly humbling and spiritual. And I think I was looking for that on the PCT. And I became so, and this is nobody's fault but my own, I became so hyper-focused on making the miles, being good enough, keeping up with Hefe, measuring myself constantly that I lost a big component of my own spirituality. I let myself slip into a role of like victimhood mm. that I really wasn't proud of. And so I think that more than the miles that I missed when I came back, when I say I, I wasn't proud, I was just like, yeah, I hiked 2000 plus miles, but I woke up so many days and just cried because I didn't want to be there, you know, or, but I just pushed myself anyway. And, and like, what, what's the point of that? You know, and in yeah. some ways, I think the depression that settled in after I came home was what needed like forced me into uh kind of reclaiming the the spiritual side of the PCT of going back and saying like oh I remember that day when I just sat on the side of the trail and cried because I didn't feel good enough and like what was that telling me you know it was like I had to be away from it for a while to be able to think of that as a gift and not oh, I just, apparently I just hate and suck at hiking, you know? <laughs> True. Because now I'm like, no, I can't wait to get back out there. Right. It's what, what's the message? What, what do you take away from the experience yeah. based on what you focused on? Yeah. And I think that uh, it's very cliche, but there's some saying about how like the trail really doesn't begin until you're done. And I think that that's kind of true. It changes your life forever. There's no way mm-hmm. it could. I was talking to a friend the other day and well, not the other day, kind of like in the midst of my breakup and leaving my job and all being unemployed again and without a partner and just utterly <laughs> a puddle of a human. And I was just, it feels like everything changed, <laughs> you know, like everything just got wiped out from under me. And and she was like, but could you imagine if you had hiked that entire trail and nothing had changed? How, disapp- <laughs> How disappointing that would be. She's like, yeah, that's really true. <laughs> that's really true. Have you reached a place spiritually, mentally, emotionally, whatever, where you can appreciate how badass you were? Yeah. That you that you hiked it, that you did it, sometimes alone, sometimes together. 
Yeah. In fact, just even it's as recent as I think this week that I really turned the corner in that. And it's taken a lot of my own kind of spiritual healing out in the desert and on on my own and reaching out to friends and getting a new job that feels really like a good fit and just kind mm-hmm. of plugging myself back into the, the community that really loves me. And, you know, I had a conversation with another through hiking friend last week about a lot of these feelings that I had been having. And he was just like, yeah, I mean, basically said what you said. He's like, one day I think you'll realize how incredible it was that you did this. (laughs) And, and that, that alone, even though it was very simple, I think knocked something loose where I was, yeah. I mean, everything else aside, when you boil it all down, it's just an incredible thing to do for a human to do, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Badass or, or not. <laughs> it's just, it's something that it calls to you, you know, you can't not answer that call. <laughs> yeah. Would you ever see yourself going back and doing it again or doing say the AT or maybe even, I'm going to just throw this out there. It's been on my mind a little bit lately. Um, going down to New Zealand and doing like the TA or something like that. Oh yes. To all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I've already started day, daydream slash planning. I won't be able to do anything this year. That's major. Mm -hmm. uh, Just because I have a big girl job now, Mm. but it's a job that I love. So I'm happy making that sacrifice. Plus I don't have any money, so (laughs) I need to like replenish those stores. Yeah. Well, and the trails aren't going anywhere. Exactly. And I think I need, I want to give the PCT some time and space to teach me what it needs to teach me right now before I jump into something else. Mm -hmm. So my plan tentatively would be to do the PCT in 2020 again by myself, maybe southbound probably northbound <laughs> but um well i will see you out there in 2020 oh is that what the year you're doing it that's that's my year yeah yeah that would be yeah definitely it'll be a good year to do it and i i have a lot of friends that are doing the cdt in 2020 who are trying to talk me into it but i kind of feel like i need to reclaim my pct experience before i can move on mm. and just do it for me mm-hmm. So PCTs on the list, I would like to eventually triple crown and thought about the TA for sure. I have one of my best friends from the trail I met is from New Zealand. So really want to go see her. Perfect excuse. Yeah, exactly. Get together, hike the Tamara. <laughs> I'm also interested in doing some more like backcountry routes. There's a trail here in Utah called the Hayduke Trail. Mm-hmm. That's about... 800 miles depending on which way you go and I would really like to get back into some backcountry route finding and then this summer or like early fall in September I'll be actually hiking with Anish um Mm, in Colorado for a week okay yeah nice yeah so I that's kind of what's getting me through and I know she I met her very very briefly on the PCT this year and 
know that she has like a very deep spiritual connection to herself and to the trail. And so it'll be interesting to spend some time in the wilderness with someone who's very like tapped into that side of themselves. Right. She seems to, from her Instagram and and just kind of following other things, she seems very dedicated to the trails, dedicated to that whole lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I plan on, and I was telling my dad about this when he came out and hiked with me, if I can just make a living as a, as hiker trash, I mean, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I don't really care if I have a master's degree or not. Like that's, that's where I'm meant to be. So right now I'm kind of in those stages of how, again, bringing in that whole dinosaur pancreas mentality of how can I let my mind wander long enough to find ways to make enough money to make that lifestyle possible for right now. You are not alone. Right. (laughs) Many, many, many people that I've talked to at this point, particularly people who are thinking towards triple crowns and that kind of thing. Yeah. They, they get the bug after the first trail and then it's literally hike the trail, get off trail, find a job, make enough money to hike the trail, the next, the next trail, the next year, get off, find the job, get the money. It's just, it's a cycle. Yeah. No, it definitely, it's a, it's a way of being that you kind of opt into that. I don't think I understood. I mean, I I understood wanting to kind of be a dirt, like I'd always been kind of like a dirt bag, (laughs) Mm -hmm. lived out of my car, that kind of thing. But to really like become so obsessed and passionate about one type of activity, just where, I mean, it's like an addiction. It really is as cliche as that is where, you know, you're just like, Oh, how can I get my next fix? (laughs) How can I get outside again? Um, Yeah. That's the that's the goal, somehow, some way. Yeah. What was we kind of talked about your best day? Unless you would like to revise that from your coffee morning. Mm-hmm. But what was the worst, most difficult day on trail for you? Oh man! Or experience on trail, I should say. Mm, yeah. Uh, let me think for a second. Hmm. I think if I were to choose, because there were definitely different many difficult days, you know, I think one of the worst days, oh, probably really unfortunately, (laughs) when I was going up and over Muir Pass in the Sierras. So pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. I um, was about like, yeah, it's around halfway through California. And I was... It was one of those days where Hefe and I had hiked separately and slept separately. And this is kind of like a, I think this story is so difficult to tell because it really reveals, it, it kind of paints a picture of what that kind of internal anxiety was that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. So I woke up because Hefe and I had decided we would meet at the top of Muir Pass for sunrise. And there's, you know, there's like a little lo- uh, hut there um, right. that you can sit in. So I woke up super early and was feeling really good and actually came across like two deer on my way up. That was interesting. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. I, um, <laughs> I got almost to the top of the pass and then a storm rolled in. 
and it was lightning and thundering and I was at, you know, almost 12,000 feet mm-hmm. and completely exposed. And there's like this little pool. I don't, it probably has a name. I just don't know it, but there's like this little pool that you have to walk. You kind of have to like rock skip across it in order to get back to the trail. And I remember standing on one of those rocks and lightning was striking not not super close but close enough (laughs) and I was just like if I died up here like no one would know for a while (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like what have I done I've become so because he had hiked ahead of me and I had become so obsessed with I just need to get there that I didn't even like take my emotion or like my physical safety into account so I just remember standing on that rock being like, what am I even doing? Like, why am I, why am I so out of the flow of what's happening around me? So I got up to the top of Muir Pass and he wasn't there. And I was just like, okay, that's strange. So I waited around. He never showed up. So I kept going and thinking that, okay, maybe he just stopped for a minute and kept going. And so now I need to like find him, you know, and catch up. So I spent the rest of the day in one of the most beautiful places in the entire trail, just like running, almost right. running in order to catch up with someone. <laughs> and I, you know, was becoming more and more pan, you know, I would get to like a lake where I was like, oh, surely he'd stop here. It's too beautiful to keep going, <laughs> you know, and I'd get there and, and he wouldn't be there. And I was just like, are you serious? You know, and when is this going to stop? And so at one point I remember, I talked, I I came across a ranger and I was like, have you seen this guy? She was going the opposite way. And she was like, oh, no, but, you know, I'll let you know. Or she was like, if I see him as I'm going up, I'll like tell him you're looking for him. And like, okay. So I kept going, kept going. And then I got to this ranger station at the bottom and this ranger came out and he's like, oh, are you songbird? I was like, yeah. Oh, my, my, uh, the other ranger radio down, your boyfriend is, has been behind you this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And I just broke down and cried because I felt just, uh, really embarrassed, I think, Mm -hmm. of how fearful I had become of, or like how much I had started adapting my experience to being together and making sure we were together. And it was your responsibility in total for that. Yes, exactly. And, and that was really hard to hold. And then thinking, of course, those types of like really intense emotional experiences touch on so many other times in your life when you felt similarly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start going back. Wow, this is something that I've I do in my life a lot. I put my needs last for the sake of keeping the peace and how, how much I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) So again, like those difficult memories will always provide a lesson, but that one, that was a hard day. That was a, that was a, a hard one to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, Emotional, mental, and physical energy. Exactly. And yeah, that was the other part of it. You know, I had hauled my ass 
up and over Forrester Pass. I think I had gone by five o'clock or something. I'd gone something like 27 miles and he, and had been like booking it, you know, the Mm -hmm. entire time. And so then to see him just casually stroll up (laughs) at the ranger station and I was just like, Oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I hear your story and relate to it, <laughs> as probably most women do. Yeah, and I think that that is something that is becoming more clear the more time I spend off trails. And like, definitely there are men that experience this too, but connecting mm-hmm. with women on how much we tend to kind of adapt ourselves to the needs of the person that we, we want to be in our lives and I think mm-hmm. that kind of circling that back to the trail and this post trail experience, that has been the hardest part still to think about, come to terms with process, whatever you want to call it of looking at it and being like, wow, so much of that experience felt like I was just hiking his hike, you know, mm-hmm. in order for us to just stay together. And that's you were more worried about you guys staying together than he potentially was definitely definitely for one reason or the other but Mm -hmm. i think the trail became so much focused on our relationship and not that that's necessarily a holistically negative thing but it's just it, it really shed a very unflattering and difficult light on the patterns of my own life and how much I want to be able to kind of get away from that. Let that go a little bit. Yes. The wonders of five months of solitude. Yes. Oh my gosh. Exactly. (laughs) It'll do a, it'll do a real number on (laughs) you. Yeah. Yeah. Then the after effect or the after time, where you start pulling those things up and actually being able to investigate them even more. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think having the, everybody dreads the post trail depression rightly. So it's pretty fucking terrible, but (laughs) I also think that that in and of itself can give, or sorry, can like provide a really important insight into trail life. Yes, definitely. Now, when you guys decided to do the PCT or when you decided to do the PCT, and I'm assuming at some point you, or on some level, you knew you were going to come back and you weren't going to have a job and you weren't going to have some place to live. I mean, did you guys think about that ahead of time or you just figured it would take care of itself when you got there? I definitely thought about it. I was I knew that I wanted to go back to Salt Lake at least for like a bit because it was definitely home, you know, mm-hmm. in a in that that sense of the word. And I knew that my job would offer it back, like they would offer me a job back and so the, in that I knew I kind of had a fallback plan. As we went on the trail, those plans kind of changed and then didn't, which I I haven't really even started thinking about, but (laughs) (laughs) because uh, Hefe is from Virginia and his family has like a plot of land down there. So we had this, it's right off the AT. 
so we had kind of been devising this plan together of like coming back, saving up some money, moving out east, developing that land and turning it into a hiker hostel. Mm. Yeah, it was really exciting. And then when we got to the end of the trail and he wasn't in a place where he wanted to be with me anymore, obviously that kind of got pulled out from under us and we just had no money or anything. So, so then going back to Utah with less of a whimsical after plan was definitely hard. (laughs) And I think I definitely could have gone back to work where I had been, but again, it came back to that. I don't think I really want to help people. (laughs) Right. I want to do something completely different. You're not emotionally, mentally, whatever in a space where you want to do that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want me as my therapist back then. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, are you supposed to be crying as much as I'm crying? <laughs> I said hello and you started crying. What's that about? <laughs> this is okay. <laughs> yeah. On in your Instagram posts, you have a picture of Mad Max. Oh yeah. Mad Max. Wow, I haven't heard of her or thought of her for a while. Let me pull up the picture so I can be on the same page as you. Uh, well, I'm just, I'm just, refer- I, I mean, I read your post about Mad Max and, yeah. and what have you. How did you guys meet or what was the, what's the story behind that? Oh, I wonder what she's up to these days. She's amazing. So when I tore my meniscus, I took a bus from like Etna to like back up to Portland, basically. and. I was sitting on the bus and there were actually like quite a few through hikers. <laughs> I think a lot of people were skipping the smoke in like Northern California. So it was a smoky one. Yeah. Everybody's kind of looking around ashamedly <laughs> that they're riding the bus. So I was sitting on the bus just by myself and another, an older man <laughs> offered me a beer and I was like, okay, it was weird, but okay. So I, was drinking a beer talking to this guy um and he was asking me about the trail and then i just heard this voice behind me and she was like oh are you a pct hiker and they turned around and i was like yeah and so i spent the rest of the bus ride uh, she got off at klamath falls so it was like a couple of hours but okay yeah she um i spent the rest of that bus ride turned around backwards in my seat <laughs> <laughs> talking to her and just hearing her story of, so she's not a PCT hiker. Um, yeah, but she, let me see. I'm sorry. I'm pulling it back up. She was homeless. She called herself domestically challenged, which I really liked. (laughs) Um, and you know, if you go to my Instagram, you can see the picture of her. She's she looks like she's in her 70s, probably, but she revealed to me that she's actually turning 50. Wow. Yeah, right? So that tells you what kind of life she's probably led. And I think uh, I've always been a person that really loves stories, and I really love talking to people and, and hearing where they come from. And I think just because of how bummed I was that I was leaving the trail because of my meniscus and all this stuff. I was kind of in a shutdown space and to have her behind me just kind of telling me her life story 
really touched me in a way that I was like, realized that for me, at least the trail had not, was no longer about the miles and the footpath. It was about like carving out half a year of my life to adventure (laughs) and kind of the people that crop up along the way. So, you know, she talks about how she rode the rails for seven years. So she just hopped from train car to train car. She told me a lot about some pretty abusive relationships that she had been in and raising, trying to raise her kids. And then her kids were taken from her because of her own drug use. I don't know. She just had this very intense, you know, traumatic history. And at the same time, she was so excited to be on that bus because she had just bought a trailer in Klamath Falls. It was like her first home that she had owned in like 20 years. And she was going, yeah. And she had been clean for a while. And so she was going back to Klamath Falls where she grew up to get the trailer so that she could start living in a a real, like having her own home. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought her up, but I haven't thought about her in a while. Yeah, she, well, and here's, oh, well, now I'm reading it. It's like, <laughs> you're reminding yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I'll just read it. Is that okay? Absolutely. So she said, I rode the rails for seven years. It was the best church I ever went to. It was like having the Discovery Channel without having to pay for cable. You become free out there. When I left Oregon, it was because I lost custody of my kids and I swore I'd never come back. I followed a man, thought I was in love. We were going to go to Chile, but we never made it past Mesa, Arizona. Now I'm here, back in Oregon. It'll always be home. I think that line, just based on what you and I were talking about 10 minutes ago about, I followed a man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, yeah, that's definitely a thing. It was, and now reflecting back on it, it's pretty awesome to see that despite all of that, she's now kind of making choices that's, or I mean, who knows what she's doing now, but at the time she was making choices based on exactly what she wanted to do and needed to do for herself. And that that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And it's hard to get to that space. Oh, very hard. Very, very hard. Yeah. So... I could bend your ear or <laughs> ask you questions for ever many more hours, but we have kind of gotten to the the 90 minute here. So I wanted to throw out to you if there was anything you felt like we didn't talk about or that we should talk about. Hmm. That's a good question. We've talked about a lot. Or, or something that you feel like potential... PCT through hikers should know. Mm, that's a good one too. I think it comes across in the way I've talked about it, but I think despite the hardship of what has just occurred in my life, <laughs> <laughs> this was a gift that I am incredibly grateful to have had in my life. Like I'm getting emotional just thinking about it now. It's easy to get sucked into looking at the all the hard things and in reality there's every day there's going to be the hard things and the amazing things and I just want to 
for anybody who's even considering something like this, do yourself a favor and just fucking do it (laughs) or at least try, you know, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be a trail. It could be a road trip. It could be a bike trip. It could be flying, like visiting another country you've never been to. It's terrifying and humbling and it'll shatter your ego. And that's the best thing that you could probably ever do for yourself. So, amen. yeah, I think that would be my big takeaway and, you know, stay hydrated. (laughs) (laughs) Drink your fluids. Drink your fluids. (laughs) I love it. If people want to reach out to you, ask you questions or, or what have you, where, where would be the best place to do that? Probably through Instagram. So if you want to put my Instagram account on there, that'd be fine. Okay. Why don't you just tell them? Oh, (laughs) so if you're interested in finding out what happens next, uh, (laughs) my Instagram handle is Caro the bold all one word. So Caro spelled C-A-R-O, the T-H-E-B-O-L-D. Perfect. And if they want to speak to you, just DM you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. definitely not Instagram famous, so I will respond. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You're not Instagram famous yet. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of me. I try to avoid my email at all costs. Perfect. Copy that. Yeah. There's one other thing I wanted to kind of plug, if that's okay. Absolutely. For myself. I'm going to be launching a website that has, it will at least start out with my writing, my photos, and hiking tips, gear-related stuff. It might manifest into some kind of YouTube presence. Okay. Especially about mental health and hiking, something that I'm getting really interested in. And so that address, um, the web address for this future website that will ho- hopefully be up by then is called thedesertsong.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Take care. Show notes and links for Caroline's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Caroline for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. We'd love to hear about your trail adventures as well, so please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. We'll see you on the trail.